Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 157th Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast about board games and us, people who like board games. <laughs> about board games and us. We'll tell you all of our live stories live on air. And what better way to start telling you about us than by telling you our names? I'm Ava Foxfort, and I'm joined today by, what's your name? Tom Brewster, and I've got two middle names, but I won't tell you them. Okay, we don't know Tom's two middle names. I think I know one of them. If I No, no way. I know I don't. I know something else. Today, we are going to be talking to you about three board games. First, we're going to be visiting Egypt with Ankh, uh, gods of Egypt, that I like to say Ankh, but it's actually pronounced Ankh, by Eric Lang and Simon Games. Ankh! <laughs> Ankh! <laughs> then, we're going to be talking about Parks. Because we're going to be visiting some parks with Henry Audubon, uh, published by Keymaster Games. Finally, we're going with Ganymede and Hope S. Wang from Sorry We Are French Games. That's a load of games. That's a real juicy stack. These are all, well, Parks and Ganymede are games that have been sort of like sat in my brain space for ages. So I'm so glad that we can actually get to talk about them on this, on this B-Week podcast where we discuss some games that maybe we're not ultra spicy on but at least a little bit interesting. So the first game we're going to talk about on this podcast is Ankh, Gods of Egypt, designed by Eric Lang and published by, come on, games, uh, the design and publisher duo that brought you Blood Rage, The Rising Sun, and now Ankh. They didn't bring us the actual concept of a rising sun. It's important to know. Ankh is what you might call a troops on an out game, where between two and five players are going to bash each other over the head for control of ancient Egypt. You're going to be placing and moving troops. You're going to be sucking loads of currency from monuments that you fight for control of. And you're going to be using that currency to upgrade your player powers, giving you access to new and shiny abilities and mythical creatures that you can summon onto the board. So you've probably got a good idea of what this game looks like already in in your head. It's this big hex-based Egyptian-themed map covered in big plastic miniatures who are going to spend as much time as possible tearing each other to shreds. Um, so instead of getting into the grit of how this game works on a sort of fundamental level, let's talk about the places where it's kind of different and weird. Uh, and the main way it's different and weird is how the actions work. You've got four actions available to you at any given time, but each time you take each kind of action, you'll move a little Egyptian paving slab across a track that is shared by all the players. And when that little paving slab gets to the end of a track, you trigger an event. And these events are things like controlling those monuments that are littered all over the board, or putting these camels down on the board to like subdivide it into smaller regions. But most importantly, it's how you're going to resolve conflicts. So rather than conflict being something that you just do on your turn to just fight someone, conflicts are these big market events that happen five times during the game total, and they're the sort of fire that the players huddle around to hit each other with. In these conflicts, you'll look at all the different regions in the board, I think there's like four or five to start with, and in each region, each player will total their strength, they'll play cards, and whoever comes out on top is going to get points and eradicate everyone who was there previously. And you'll get most of your points for keeping control of monuments that are in those regions after conflict happens. 
But maybe the most important event of the whole game is this thing called the merge. It's the thing that's got people's hackles up the most about Ankh. And this happens after the third conflict in the game. And when the merge happens, the two lowest scoring players, the two players who've got the least points from collecting points from their monuments, get absorbed into one giant Egyptian blob that's going to try and wreck house for the rest of the game, sort of scraping control from the players that are in the lead. And speaking of the lead, I don't want to bury it. I don't want to make Ankh sound like something that we collectively enjoyed. I think this game is pretty deeply not my jam, and I tentatively suggest that it wasn't really anyone else's jam on the team either. And I think this rises from a sort of core tenet that's passed through Blood Rage and to Rising Sun and now this, which is this kind of disconnect between fun and worth doing. So in both of these games, you have opportunities to chuck big miniatures at each other and do these big fights, but that's not necessarily the thing that's going to get you to win the game. Um, that sounds really silly, right? Because I witnessed Matt's desire for fun over worth doing in a game of TI, where, if you remember, Ava, uh, Matt just bludgeoned Quinns over and over again <laughs> because he felt like it. And, like, I'm not into that stuff. Uh, I played that game of TI and I raced for points because I, I evidently just don't enjoy fun. But both sides of the coin in this game, I felt, didn't feel great to me. So there's a part of it that's admin and there's a part of it that's conflict. And the admin part, which is kind of skulking around, taking actions that you might need to secure temples for followers that you want to gather to activate your powers, and having your troops kind of chilling in regions so you can pick up points, I didn't find that part of the game particularly compelling. And then the combat in Ankh feels so myopic and unpredictable. Like, maybe if you were fighting for every territory in the game every turn, you could get in some interesting hand management. But often our conflicts kind of like anchored around one territory. Well, there were so many different angles of attack that it was impossible to calculate and your stuff died or it didn't and no one felt great about it. So that's a lot of negativity right out the gate and maybe we're giving Ankh a bit of short shrift because I think that we realized while we were playing this game that it wasn't quite for us. Ava, I think you found more interest in there than maybe the rest of the team did. There's a chance that there's ways that this could be a lot more exciting once it's unfurled a bit more, uh, but I wouldn't be getting my hopes up too high for that. So the first of these things is that we were only playing with three players. And I think that having less people on the board, having a quite big board that does get subdivided because of the players and does get subdivided in one of the cooler mechanics of the game, um is less than ideal because i was just mm. basically able to mark off the bottom of the board and just be like i've just got loads of people here i'm farming it for loads of points i'm gonna just pull ahead of everyone and that's fine and it that it wasn't actually fun to be doing that like i think i was like i think it could have been described as trouncing you and matt yes absolutely obliterated and I, only by doing the most boring things in the game. So I think that that was a bit less than ideal. We were also playing with a scenario that comes in the box for three players that um, adds some cities to the map that like actually like drain points away from people. And there were a couple of things. I think the mummy cats, which are cats that are mummies, oh. not the mothers of cats, that drain <laughs> points from people, which it was just a 
a horrible thing to do. And this game is like a race up the victory point track and there's an instant win at the top and there's a threshold where if you don't get past it by the fourth conflict, you just get knocked out of the game for the finale yeah. and things like that. They're just kind of like are there to kind of shorten and narrow it. To have a game where you're racing, where you get people just get like pulled behind you is not great. But no. also... If you don't like that bit of the game, if you don't like those things that are sucking points away from you, you can play without them. The Guardians can be swapped out for different things. So there's three levels of Guardian and they can be different from a selection of stuff that you've got each game. So there could be a combination of those that I would like more or wouldn't have a problem with. Um, I know I saw that the designer Eric Lang said that the game would be very different depending on which gods you're playing mm. because they each have their own superpower that wrinkles the rules of the game in a way that affects everyone's game and you know that could be interesting and could shake it up a little bit so i don't want to say that any of our statements about this are definitive and like this is not a review this is a podcast chat where we talk about something that we played a little bit and are like probably not going to play any more of because we're not that into it and it's a shame because there are some really exciting things in there like i really love a game that's got like elements of area control that where you get to build the areas like mexica's like mm. absolutely like top-notch one of my fave games and it has this thing where you're building canals to kind of close off regions and this has something like that like one of the events that can happen is you put some camels on the board and just like redraw the borders that's cool and that's a clever thing to be getting to do in the middle of a game except that i didn't feel like the game was like hugely geographic i think a lot of the points and stuff comes from being next to monuments taking control of them although that like the ability to actually take control of other people's monuments for us again probably because we had three players came so late in the game that it wasn't really that exciting but yeah. it's almost got the faintest hint of Tigris and Euphrates in that, like, jostling for position <laughs> for a certain place so that you've got a route to it so that it can be supplying you with points regularly. That's that's mm. there. But in terms of what I was expecting, in terms of moving around the map to kind of attack people and be in strategic positions, it's not that at all. It's absolutely just, are you in the same region as someone else? You, then you're having a fight. Have, have you got this weird crocodile person they're going to sit in the water and they're going to get involved in every fight but they're probably going to die before they get to the big fight that matters so and and these things are interesting like the order that things happening or at least they should be interesting and they just didn't land for me no i think that one of the core things i was thinking about when we were playing ank was like there are systems in this game that are interesting. There are design wrinkles that I find found intriguing when I was reading the manual and they were intriguing when we opened up the game. But it felt like getting to those decisions being interesting would take quite a bit of work getting through the design rather than them immediately being like necessarily interesting straight off the bat. I, I would compare that um so, you know the way that we had to huddle around those cities to get points i would compare it more to a, a different rider community game i'd compare it more to something like babylonia but then that system is just much richer more fleshed out more interesting in babylonia than it is in ankh and maybe that's like the real thing with with this game that i find tricky right is like for the price and for the plastic because we've not really talked about how the plastic in this game is off the charts Everything is plastic if you get the mad Kickstarter version. The box is just full of it. 
and that is already leaving a sour taste in my mouth. But for the price and for the plastic, there are infinite sharper designs that I would buy in a heartbeat first, right? Yeah. Like, if you want ancient Egypt and gods and monsters and player powers, you can get Kemet. Uh, you can get Inish if you want something more thoughtful and tactical. Uh, you can get Root if you want asymmetry and expandability. You can get El Grande if you want area majority. Like, I've still got a very soft spot for the Game of Thrones board game. You could play that for this kind of thing. Honestly, I actually think that Tigris and Euphrates is the game that I would <laughs> recommend to people who get excited about this, which is ridiculous right. because I'm talking about a game that is like clunky square pieces in like what should be the driest thing. <laughs> but like, I was looking at this game and I was expecting cutthroat, jumping around, having a bit of battle, lots of drama, the board changing all of the time and exciting things happening. And I get more of that in Tigris and Euphrates. That's made me think, it's like what we did get in Ank was a game that was very stationary for a lot of the time that we played it, in that most of the game was deadlocked around this. We ha we sort of each had a region that was collecting points, which no one could really go in and take control of because the game doesn't let you take control of monuments until a certain point in the game. And then we would have this one big region that we were fighting over and troops would leave and then troops would come back and then we would have another fight. And the game felt very sort of stagnant in that in that moment. There wasn't much evolution. The story of the game was not that interesting, even with something like the merge happening. Yeah. So maybe that's, that's what we've got to say on Ang. Well, I just want to make one last point that I think there is a chance that we didn't discover the game of this. And I think that a persistent group may be able to find nuance and strategies and ways of playing this game that make it unfurl and unfold into something a bit more magic than we found. But we didn't find it. And mm. that was, it was a quick, light playtest. So maybe it's still in there but we, we do do this for a living and we did all bounce off it quite hard yes i would say that maybe the prevailing feeling was that we felt like at least for me was would i want to try and give this game more plays to try and get at that interesting stuff that could be in there for a group that plays it a lot or would i rather just play a game that's going to give me that stuff straight away and have a great time front to back yeah. i don't know it's a hard one isn't it it's not a hard one it's an easy one. <laughs> what I want now is a version of Tigris and Euphrates that's got like ridiculous miniatures in it. No, I don't want that. I spent <laughs> I spent literally years digging around for one of the old nice wooden copies of it. Fair. I am the opposite of what I'm purporting to be there, which is someone who desperately wants like Tigris and Euphrates extreme. Ba-da-ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba. <laughs> <laughs> So a game that we got to try is a name that's a little bit a little bit older. It's almost out of date. I think it came out a couple of years ago at this point. Blimmin' ancient, ancient game from 2019. <laughs> it's from 2019. It's older than Tom. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, Parks by Henry Audubon and published by Keymaster Games. This is a absolutely beautiful production there is clearly a love letter to national parks of the world and it has this beautiful like slightly abstracted art style that really like jumps off and sings at you which is lovely it's about going on hikes and finding things. My, I've got a headcanon about this, which is... That... I love your headcanon for this game. <laughs> I think this, you, the people need to know about the Ava headcanon for parts. Okay, so my theory about what is happening here is that each of the players is a National Parks blogger who, for some reason or another, cannot actually leave their hometown. And so are constantly going to the park at the bottom of their road 
and going on the same walk but trying to get different photos of things so that they can pretend that they've been to uh, the real parks. Yosemite Natural Park. And the reason for this is that the whole of parks is about walking along a little track, moving your hiker forwards along it, picking up some stuff that you get there. You can collect mountains and trees and rivers and sun and presumably you're not collecting the sun presumably you're taking photos and or enjoying the environment of the sun and of the sun take oh i love a photo of the sun um <laughs> and yeah and you're collecting these things so that when you get to the end of the trail there's a base where you're allowed to go and visit or reserve or buy equipment or but mostly it's visiting parks which is basically looking at the parks that are on display and saying right that one wants two mountains and a river so i'm going to get that and it's worth some points and that will win the game which is nice doesn't make any sense you can't collect mountains (laughs) and you don't you can't exchange mountains for visiting a park i don't understand how any of that works but it doesn't matter because well it does matter and we'll get to that in a bit but it's a game it's a game. So let's get into like the little wrinkles that make that a little bit fruity. First of all, you've got two hikers. Each player has two hikers. Um, and you can only ever move forwards. And you mostly can't go to spaces that are occupied by uh, anyone else or even one of your own hikers. Unless you've got a campfire and you start off with a campfire. And every time a hiker gets to the end of the road, you get to relight your fire, which means you can go and hang out with other people again. So you've got this push and pull between the flexibility of wanting to kind of skip onto every step and pick up all of the things. But also, if you get to certain places, you'll be blocking your opponent. And if you move too far ahead to get the thing that you're absolutely desperate for, you've closed off a load of options that you'll be able to get previously. There's a Splendor style opportunity to reserve a park in advance. So if you know something's important to your plan, you can jump straight ahead and get that. There's equipment and canteens that get you little bonuses for doing certain things. And there's bears or animals, animal <laughs> things that let you, uh, that are wild. And I quite like the idea of getting to say you can collect bears and bears are wild. And also they count as any other resource. <laughs> you can use a bear as a mountain or the sun. Yeah, no, bears are just so cool. Previously, like if you're looking at like you're looking at a, a river or you're looking at a mountain, like that's you collecting the resources. Look at tree, get a tree resource. Look at mountain, get mountain. If you look at a bear, like that bear is so cool that like it doesn't matter. Like the person that you're telling your story about this uh, going to this national park to doesn't care about the trees and the rain. They're like, you saw a bear? That's so cool. <laughs> We should talk about what Parks is like as an game. We just talk about the rules. There's loads of little systems going on. Uh, but the core of it is that little track where you're moving your little hiker along and taking resources, using it to buy these parks, and then you get points at the end. Whoever has the most points wins. Let me tell you, Ava, I thought Parks was pretty nice. It's a pretty nice game. <laughs> I don't think it's ever going to dislodge anything from my collection if I were to get a copy, but it's gorgeous and it's a really keen little box if you're like showing it to people who are maybe new to games or like relatively new to games this is what i was thinking about after you played it right it makes the crunch that's in here makes it kind of like a litmus test for if people are going to be super into those like action efficiency resource gathering games but it presents so many options on how to solve the problems that it's giving you that you're always going to just be able to pull off something satisfying The stuff that we get excited for is that, like, eye of the needle play where you just manage to squeeze the perfect number of points out of, like, the actions in front of you. 
And I think what we're getting a kick out of those games today is like when that eye is really, really small, right? When you can, there's a tiny opportunity to get the efficiency that you need. Parks instead felt to me like you're not threading a needle so much as you are like dunking a basketball. <laughs> you have a significant roster of powers and upgrades that makes that process feel easier and makes that power creep feel strong. And I think personally, I wish it was a spruce meaner. Like I think that that action selection track was a little bit wasted because it let players hang back sometimes and scoop up loads of stuff at the end. And the fact that it's not completely, you know, you can spend time on other people's spaces felt a little bit safe. But I think that it's a pretty good intro to this kind of game. And once again, it's very pretty. People who are, want to dip their toes into this kind of game, right? Yeah, I think that there might be like a bit of a goldilocks problem is that what the goldilocks problem is no i think that's something else but like there's a bit of the problem <laughs> where <laughs> there's a bit of the problem what's the goldilocks problem <laughs> um what's the, tell me about this problem no I'm way so it's not the goldilocks problem it's the goldilocks paradox and it's something about the fact that like how how unlikely is it that we are in the we're on a planet that is the perfect temperature and i mean it's not anymore because we've messed it up but the temperature and environment is the right thing to sustain life therefore and it's if that's narrower because it's not too hot not too cold like the porridge in the goldilocks story Uh, you're not too young to remember goldilocks are you i know who goldilocks (laughs) and the three musketeers are (laughs) um anyway i think that there's an issue here in that the game is like so inviting but the rules are just like a little bit too fiddly like the, mm. the stuff with the camera that lets you take photos when i thought the whole game was about photos so i was a bit baffled as there was like a sub mechanic that was about photos <laughs> it just felt like a thing too many mm. and it's good because there's stuff in there that will make it a bit different like you you play through your hiking getting to the end four times and each time there's a different season that adds a little wrinkle and all of that stuff was good in terms of adding a little bit of spice to it only a tiny tiny bit of spice but i think i can imagine people getting a headache during the rule ex- rules explanation if they are like totally new to mm, okay on the other hand it is just like you can just ignore all of that and just be like i'm gonna grab that stuff and i'm gonna spend it on this i do think that the, the core loop of the game is sufficiently simple enough that if you were to present this game to someone, you could talk about those systems very briefly and that person not entirely understand their significance. And then that game, the game would sort of evolve over time as players picked up and played with those systems more each time. Yeah. Like I think about a lot of other two-player games. Uh, well, I mean, I'm talking, I'm talking about Parks as if it is only a two-player game, but I think that might be the perfect count for it where it's quite nippy and it gives you just enough time to like think about your decisions i've got a feeling that three players is probably perfect for this i've played it with five and at five i found it really really tight um in terms of when you've got if you've got five people then when you're on that hike you can quite often look up and be like oh there's almost no spaces that i can go to I can only go there or there. Right. And that limitation is very cruel, which kind of narrows the space a little bit, but also makes it a lot harder to think about what your opponents might be doing on their turn. So you kind of have to wait until your turn to actually decide what to do. And you've got slightly less options, but also you need to think harder about those options, which makes you get a little bit bogged down. And so the game ended up taking far too long and just Mm. feeling a little bit, a little bit crunchy 
I also think that that might happen if you're playing with people who are very into games. Like, I think this is a game that is probably better with beginners or people who are going to play lightly and have a conversation over the whole time than it is with people who want to get really stuck into this puzzle, which I am someone who wants mm. to do that. And there is the potential there to get really, really lost in the detail and the and the planning and the second guessing and the the like efficiency and, and stuff of it. Whereas when you're at two players, it almost goes too far. Like the basketball net that you were talking about is a bit too big. <laughs> like it, I see. It, okay. it, like it was pretty generous and it was much easier to go and scoop up a load of stuff behind other people. And it's a bit too much at one end or a bit too tight at the other. And yeah, that wasn't ideal. I guess it comes down to like, who would we recommend this game to? And maybe it's kind of similar to, <laughs> weirdly, our discussion of Ankh, where I think there are other two-player games that I'd recommend first if you're playing with two players. Like, I think that Glasgow is really strong. I think Watergate and Patchwork and Curious Cargo are all things that I might recommend first. But I do think that this is one of those games that I think you could crack out as a bit of an appetizer if you're doing a small kind of cozy game night. And it might be one of those good games that's kind of a bit of a gift, that sort of territory. I just think that for me personally, I don't think there's quite enough there to, to keep me hooked and to drag me in for a second one. But I do think that the there is a huge amount of appeal in that box, in that, you know, that basketball hoop being wide, as we've talked about earlier. But maybe by the sounds of things, I think tipping it over towards that five player game might be a little bit a little bit too crunchy if you're playing it with people who are going to sort of really sweat over their turns. But maybe also a little bit too airy if you're playing with people who are new to games. And I think that there's a problem as well that I kind of alluded to right at the very beginning that is that Parks is really lovely in terms of it is beautiful, like good, solid, chunky pieces that everything looks satisfying. But it doesn't really evoke going for a walk. Sure. I had a chat with one of the players in the first game that I played and, and he was saying that like... Takaido feels like going for a walk and going and doing like little unusual things that are a bit different to everything else and getting a little experience and like there's something really nice about the fact that it captures some of that stuff and this didn't mm. feel like going for a walk it felt like collecting resources with very very lovely art and that seems like a shame I'll tell you what does feel just like its theme though <laughs> let's talk about Ganymede <laughs> that's a reach <laughs> <laughs> it's it's quite a reach. So Ganymede is the last game we're going to talk about uh, on this podcast. It's designed by Hope S. Wang and it's published by Sorry We're French Games. And Ganymede is a game where you're launching little meeples into space. You're going to load scientists and engineers onto rockets and you're going to get them to travel to Mars. And then from Mars, you'll blast them over to Ganymede, which is a moon of Jupiter. Uh, I've realized that I just need to apologize for my segue because this game, it does feel pretty spacey, but it doesn't feel necessarily like you're, you know, loading the world's biggest and brightest onto rockets and sending them off. It feels like you're putting meeples onto a planet <laughs> and then conveying them along with action tiles. Yeah, that, that, um, like, like I say, that was a massive overreach, I think. <laughs> you could, could claim that this feels more like the thing. But then how, how do I know? I've never sent anyone to space, as far as I know. I have only sent one person to space yeah you really clocked that guy i really <laughs> <laughs> luckily even though ganymede's theme isn't maybe hugely evocative it's quite a satisfying little engine building game and um, we'll talk about how it works um basically you're going to take one action on your turn from a choice of three the uh, first action is you can take a tile 
This might give you some meeples of a specific colour on Earth, or let you make some little jumps from maybe Earth to Mars or Mars to Ganymede, just maybe one or two. Or it'll get you new shuttles to park over at Ganymede, which are the things that are going to score you points at the end of the game. The more shuttles that you blast off, the more points you get at the end of the game. The thing about both of these actions is that the more of one colour of action, so each action will have a corresponding little symbol showing its colour, the more of those coloured actions you get, the more you get to repeat that action. So if you have three blue tiles lined up at your top bar, you'll get to repeat that action three times. So the game encourages you to build up big vertical stacks of actions for huge amounts of free turns, which gives this game this very satisfying arc that gets underway pretty rapidly. So you can choose a tile to take an action, or you can choose a shuttle to move your people around from planet to planet, or the last action is to bin the tiles that you have at the top to take some free actions that will give you flexibility. So you keep going back and forth, taking one of those three actions until one of you launches four of those shuttles, at which point the game ends and whoever has the most points from those launches wins. There's other rules here. There's like a little reputation track and there's like special bonuses here and there. But at its core, I think I really like Ganymede as a game that drills straight into that core of building an engine. You take one action a turn, but by taking those actions, you build up an infrastructure that makes that one action spiral out into loads and loads of other things that you can do. And it's not even just that it lets you spiral out. It's also the fact that the temptation, particularly with the tiles at the top, which there's only three slots for, but it's really tight having those three tiles there and then this little bonus if you discard them. Because mm. it means that you, you can't get too attached to anything. And like I nearly stumbled right at the beginning because I was like, oh, but I want there to be a blue thing and there's not a blue thing. And it, it took me a while to be like, oh, I've just got to chuck everything. You can't get too attached to the combo. You've got to do it and then chuck it out and then find something new. And I really like that kind of that kind of back and forth of like, oh, I've done a really good job and that was really powerful. But now I've got to reset that again and I've got to try and do something else. And like finding those combos was satisfying. And it's not even really combos. It's just like getting better at the thing because you've done some of it before. But it's surprisingly exciting i think that we should talk about very briefly the way that the shuttles work in the game so the shuttle cards that you stack at the bottom of your board that let you move from earth to mars or mars to ganymede they'll only send off a very specific set of meeples so you might have a shuttle from earth to mars that will let you launch a red a yellow and a purple it has to launch that shuttle all of those meeples or none of them so you have to build these sets, but those sets might not correspond exactly to what you've actually got on the planet. So you're sort of leaning in and out of the critical path. You're sort of playing with the selection of what's on offer. You're adapting as you go and like always building and then breaking combos to like fit exactly what's going on at the moment. Like the game gives you these incentives to build vertically because you get loads of actions, but it also gives you a couple to build horizontally because you free rocket launches if you build horizontally. So you've always got options, but like not enough to ever create some serious AP, which means that like the game zaps by, mm. right? We played a full game of this in like 20 minutes. The turns are so fast. Yeah, I will say the game is so snappy and nippy and quick and fast that I forgot that it was going to end. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just got into this loop of just doing the thing, doing the thing, doing the thing, doing the thing. And then you were like, oh, so you're triggering the end of the game. And I was like, what? <laughs> 
<laughs> and had no idea that that was a thing that could have happened at that point and completely forgotten any of it i was just like i'm just doing my thing doing my thing ship off some meeples and got some points and oh it's over oh what how what yeah. even was that and there's some really like i was paying attention to your board sort of willing you to not end the game at that point i think it's one of those <laughs> games where the end is so important <laughs> which makes it even funny the fact that you didn't realize you were <laughs> yeah, ending yeah. it if you have played it you know multiple times you know when the end is coming having that in your head informs the way that you play the whole game and what you choose and maybe you'll go for that little rocket launcher bonus so you can just get a couple of extra ships over the line because this is a game with relatively few points on offer so it's really something that will provide so many opportunities to to get crunching it actually reminds me more than anything else of playing multiple games of something like beyond the sun where the first few times you play Beyond the Sun, those objectives seem way off. But then once you get into Beyond the Sun pretty deeply, once you've played it a few times, it's a game where the end just comes around on like turn nine and, and it's over because players know they can just leapfrog from critical point to critical point to get to the end and, and cut off the game before it has a chance to even live a little. And playing Ganymede feels very much like that. It's something where if you're playing with someone who knows that the end of the game is coming, they can just absolutely rinse you unless you're me. And I lost pretty badly to you, <laughs> who managed to win by mistake. <laughs> it was literally like I had a plan. I knew what I was going to do over the next couple of the turns. And then I saw something. It was like, oh, wait, I can do that. And then I'll get to launch a rocket for free. And I'll be at the top of the what we were calling the monk track. <laughs> it is, it's, it's the monk it's track. The monk it's track. perennially the monk track. It can't be anything else. Every Euro game has to have one. So I got to the top of the monk track and that meant that I got a free launch. And it was like, oh, great, I'll launch that. And then you were just like, oh, are you ending it? And I was That's like, it. oh, am I? <laughs> I thought I was just, oh, yeah, I, I guess. And and I won. So, so I'm not bothered by that. I would have been really annoyed if I'd accidentally ended the game and lost. But uh, yeah. So Ganymede is pretty good from start to finish. It's very peppy. It's very fast. And I'll tell you what's also really tempting me into this game being a pretty solid one. It's so cheap. It's like 30 quid and it's got no plastic. It's all wood and cardboard and it's quick to set up and it's quick to teach. And I think you could do a lot worse for a little fun little peppy engine builder you can play in like 20 minutes. I, I, I dig it. And it, but it's one of those games that even then, with all these positive things coming into it, I think there's more exciting stuff out there. But uh, that you can't argue with that price and the speed. I think that is the 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 real nugget that's keeping me interested in Ganymede. I don't know if it's got a permanent home in my collection, but it's pretty delightful. It's something that I want to share. It's something that I want to give to people. Aww. So that is the end of this episode of the Shut Up and Sit down podcast we've been a podcast about board games i've been tom brewster she's been ava fox Sport, and that's been board games hasn't it just what are you gonna do this afternoon ava um i'm gonna i'm currently discovering that i'm better at reading a book if i read two books at once and alternate chapter by chapter so i am gonna read two books at once wow it's a book sandwich kind of that sounds lovely. I'm going to pack all of my games into some big cardboard boxes this evening so I can move house. <gasps> I'm so excited about you moving house, Tom. I know, so am I. I hope it's going to be fine. We'll find out, won't we? Next time on the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, we'll be discussing whether or not I have internet. <laughs> and you can tell that we'll be discussing it because I will be present or not. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye.